Okay, we are officially gonna get going this morning. Hello, my name's Melissa Sloop and we are getting this Parenting on Purpose class going. We're gonna be doing it, this is our second one for this fall and then we'll do it again in the spring two times. So come on in and grab a seat and we are gonna get started. To introduce our speaker for today, I brought up the lovely Ann Claire Shepherd, and she's going to introduce him. So here's Ann Claire. Good morning. My name is Ann Claire Shepherd, and I've been a member of this church about 12 years. I'm married to Joel. We have two daughters, 21, 23, a 28-year-old son-in-law, and a grandbaby due this month. I would, um, thank you very much, I would like to encourage you that it is never too late, never too late, or never too early to be intentional about the way that you speak into the lives of your children and those in your sphere of influence. Someone who has been an encourager to me in my parenting journey is our speaker this morning, Mr. Peter Bauer. Peter and his wife Lois moved to Roanoke in 2014 when he answered the call to serve as head of school at Faith Christian School right down the road from our church. Peter has been in education most of his life. He is an influencer. He likes to influence his peers, his students, and his parents. Peter is also a recent grandfather, and has the opportunity to speak into the lives of the next generation of his family. Would you please welcome Peter Bauer. There's a picture of my grandson, in case anybody wants to, maybe you can come up later and get close up. Uh, I forgot to tell you, if you are sitting in this front row, that's half tuition at Faith Christian School. So, yeah, come see me afterward. Um, just a, a little heads up, there is, I'm going to be showing video clips. There's one, uh, as I would describe it, PG-13 word in the first video. Heads up for parents with young kids. Um, it's an honor to be here. Um, I'm very passionate about this subject, and without further ado, let me begin. Think for a minute about nearly every story you have ever heard or book read. Almost universally, the hero or heroine of the story goes through a crisis. And whether they survive or not, succeed or fail, appears to be on the edge as slim as a razor. And the future of the universe or of a critical relationship hangs in the balance. And at that crisis, that razor's edge, it is most often about the characters' hearts, their core beliefs about who they are. You see, all the great stories are ultimately about our hearts. From Cinderella, am I worthy? To Frodo Baggins, do I have what it takes? Whether or not they survive or succeed is based on what they believe about themselves. And at the moment the clock literally or figuratively strikes 12, his or her, her identity hangs in the balance. And it seems the whole world hangs in the balance too. It all hangs on the answers to questions like, do I have what it takes? Can I do it? Am I really the one? Am I worthy? Boiled down, the question is, what is the truth about who I truly am? And what is unceasingly and universally true is that these stories touch something very deep in our own hearts. Even though it's just a movie or a fable or a fairy tale or even a cartoon, we're drawn in, we weep, we cheer, we fall in love, we vicariously die, and we resurrect. And in so many ways, we find ourselves asking the same questions, don't we? What is the truth about who I truly am? You see, we are Cinderella, and we are Frodo, and we aren't sure. My premise is that our hearts are in peril and that there's a war being waged against them. You need not think very long to remember a time when your heart was struck with an arrow. 
when it left you wondering if you were worthy or whether you had what it takes, or even if you may have felt in some way as though that arrow that struck your heart was deserved. You thought you had what it takes, but something someone said struck at the very core of your confidence. Struck at your heart, and now you wonder, and now you don't, and now you doubt, don't you? Psalm 109.22 says, For I am afflicted and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. You see, it is about your heart, and we are afflicted and needy because our hearts are wounded. Sometimes arrows come from those who love us the most and misplaced good intentions. Maybe you understand. I want to show you a clip from a movie called October Sky. It's a story of a young man, a son, who hasn't met his father's expectations. And the arrows and the wounds and the afflictions come, and the doubts. Maybe many of us can relate to what this young man felt. Whoa. Ten, nine, eight, eight seven, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Holy shit, it's headed for the mine. I told you we didn't know what we were doing! I told you! No. God in heaven, I thought it was a guy in this one! I thought the damn Russian was attacking us. Boys in trouble now. So this is what you've been up to in the basement, huh? Yes, sir. Damn, Homer. You could have killed somebody with this idiot thing. No, sir, I'm sorry. I... Well, Homer here wants to be a rocket scientist. Is that it, John? He had no idea what he wants to be. But I know what he is. He's a menace, and he's a damn thief. Damn. And so is whoever helped him. Hank Bykovsky did this, didn't he? Don't you ever let me catch you with these fool things on company property again. You understand me? Yes, sir. Then go home. Not all of us experience so public and dramatic an arrow, arrow but it doesn't have to be public or dramatic, does it? As the head of a school, former teacher, coach, and as a son, I realize the classroom or the athletic field can be a place where arrows strike just as hard as they can at home. In this clip, you meet Rudy in a classroom from the film of the same name. The bicameral legislature originated not in the United States, but where? Mr. Rudiker, would you be interested in joining us? Uh, the House and the Senate Don't even committee? try. If I were giving out grades for daydreaming, you'd be getting an A. But in civics, you're failing. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the problem with dreamers is they usually are not doers. Their achievements are grand up here, but here, where it counts, they fall short. Now, the bicameral legislature originated... Hold up. I have an announcement. If you are a student interested in making the University of Notre Dame your college choice, a bus will be leaving here at 10 a.m. Saturday, December 15th for a one-day guided tour of the campus. Please sign up by Wednesday, November 5th. What you don't know if you haven't seen the entire movie is that it was the very fact that Rudy was a dreamer that ended up taking him further than anyone could have imagined. But as, young, but as a young man, do you see his heart was under attack and the arrow struck deep and he doubted. I believe all of these things give evidence of the war against our hearts and what God desires for us. And in the context of our time here this morning, the hearts of your children. What I hope to leave you with today is a battle plan to thwart the war against your children's hearts and encourage you as parents, because parents, you hold in your toolbox one of the most powerful tools in the universe, 
your words. The world was created perfect, perfectly reflecting God's handiwork in us and in his creation. That handiwork is now marred by sin, and we are in the battle to restore it in ourselves and others and in his creation. And in every battle, there's an enemy. You see, since Adam and Eve fell, God's glory in us and in others is under unending assault. And as a result, as believers, and I strongly believe specifically as parents, we have the privilege of joining God in his work of restoration and redemption and healing. And be prepared, at times it will not be easy. So today I want to talk about one aspect of this work, and that is the incredible privilege we have as parents in being able to speak God's glory into the lives of our children and to paint a picture of hope of what God's glory might look like lived out in their lives, to help restore and heal the image that's under assault and to add a bit of body armor against the fiery darts of the enemy that are aimed at the Achilles heel, the most vulnerable target of our children, their hearts, the core of God's glory in them, and the center of their image bearing. Fair warning, in battles, people get wounded. Much of what I share is born out of my own woundedness, fiery darts that penetrated. There are many kinds of wounds, and in the great scheme of things, and juxtaposed to other wounds, mine might seem minor, and they may well be, but they're nonetheless real for me. More to the point, the things I'm talking about are universal, and it's my hope that we become more effective in our kingdom-building efforts, and particularly more effective in the lives of those God has placed in our sphere of influence and care, and at the very least, raising your awareness, and at the most, unleashing your capacity to help fortify your child's hearts. Let me start with the following. Think about what your name was during your school years. You know, Peter is always blank. What characteristic fit? Think of a classmate in school you knew had a name. When I think of Lucy, she was always. Think of the best student in your class. Think of three characteristics of that child that made them, quote, the best. I can remember it like it was yesterday. In front of the bay windows at the dining room of the tape, the dining room table, our window faced the fields. There was a huge oak tree at the back of the pasture, and a hawk used to perch on the top of it. Andrew, my brother, four years younger than I, was in third grade. I was in seventh. He had math homework, and I knew I could help. In fact, I insisted on helping. Insisted. I knew that I could teach him in a way that he would not only be able to do that problem in math, but would likely prepare him to win a Nobel Prize. I was so eager to help that above the loud protests of my brother to stop, I finally heard my mother say, Peter, enough. Just leave him alone. He doesn't want your help. Ouch. Maybe I shouldn't teach. Then there was Josh Kunkel and Aaron Temin in the fifth grade. Oh, in the tact. I was able to influence Josh into thinking that one of the funniest things in the world for him to do would be put the tack on Aaron's seat. You see, I liked influencing people to do things, just not in the right ways. And I was good at it. I loved to teach. I loved to influence. I loved to play a role. I loved to be in front. Obviously, in many instances, these loves could have been better directed. Just ask Aaron, who sat on the tack. Or my younger brother, who was nearly traumatized by my efforts to teach him. But do you see, these were glimpses into something more and something good. I have taught or coached every age from pre-K through adults and loved it. Maybe, just maybe, I was born to be an influencer, a teacher, a coach, and maybe even a leader. But you see, early on, I wasn't sure, and no one helped me to see. The glimpses of God's glory lived out in me were left just as glimpses or misdirected. I heard a story about Zig Ziglar, and it revolutionized the way I approached teaching, coaching, and most importantly, the way I parented. For those of you not familiar with the name, for over four decades, Zig Ziglar was one of the most popular and successful motivational speakers in the United States. I don't recall where I heard this story, but it's worth retelling. Zig Ziglar had just finished speaking at a large event and was making his way out of the building through the foyer. 
There he approached the young mother and her 11-year-old son. Mr. Ziegler? Yes? Mr. Ziegler, would you have a moment? Certainly. Mr. Ziegler, I wanted to thank you. Well, you're welcome, but may I ask what for? Mr. Ziegler, I wanted to thank you for changing my son's life. Well, that sounds like a story I'd like to hear. Can you tell me about it? Mr. Ziegler, just three years ago, we were at a similar event, and after it was over, we found ourselves in the lobby just like today. Then, without even knowing us, you came right up to us and introduced yourself. You said to me, hello, my name is Mr. Ziegler. May I ask yours? Mary, I said. And then you asked, who was the young man standing by my side? I introduced my son, Matthew, to you. Mr. Ziegler, you got down on one knee in front of my son and introduced yourself. Hello, Matthew. My name is Mr. Ziegler. It's nice to meet you. Matthew, do you know I have a special gift? No, sir. Matthew, would you like to know what that special gift is? Yes, sir. Matthew, my special gift is that I know a winner when I see one. And Matthew, you are a winner. For some reason, and at that time, there was something incredibly powerful about that story, and I was deeply touched and profoundly affected. As I thought about that story, it struck me, every child I have ever taught or coached is a winner. Not the attaboy, everyone get a trophy winner. No, a much, much more pow powerful and much more eternal winner. You see, it hit me that every single child who has ever been in front of me is a fellow eternal image bearer. And by that criteria alone, every child is created in the likeness of God, and every person, therefore, has placed within them an aspect of God's glory to be spoken into and to be lived out. I was convicted, stunned, and transformed, and it started a journey. Every image bearer is in a battle, and the, image, and the enemy wants to damage or better yet destroy God's glory in every image bearer. The enemy hates God's glory no matter where it appears, and he hates it most in the things God loves the most, us. We were created a little lower than angels, and the war is on to make us believe we are unneeded, unwanted, and we have nothing in particular to offer this world or others. We are sure that we have no glory, well, maybe just a little, but we're convinced it's not as good as someone else's. Can you see this? Created as image bearers, bearing God's image, and we find ourselves believing we have little or nothing to offer, no place of importance or value, that is absurd. But the very fact that it's a universal struggle only exposes just how good the enemy is at his work, doesn't it? Do your children know they are image bearers? Do you? Will our words bring life to the hearts of our children? Will our words help restore the image that's been damaged or lost? Can we turn a glimpse of God's glory into something more with a word of affirmation and encouragement? Can we enter the battle? Restoration. Redemption. Healing. Let me take just a minute to show you how subtle the contrast can be. Listen very carefully for the words, I have my eye on you. The radio signal transmitted by the Soviet Sputnik. Listen now for the sound which forevermore separates the old from the new. That's it. That's the Sputnik. That's Sputnik. Oh, big deal. Big deal? Well, you fail to grasp that the sound you're hearing is being transmitted by an object that is traveling at 18,000 miles per hour. 559 miles high, and orbiting the Earth every night. Oh, it's not in my class. Thank you, Quentin. Now, Quentin's right, y'all. Sputnik is a milestone in history. Things will never be the same again. What do you think about that, homie? Well, yes, ma'am. <laughs> OK, I got your time. We're talking about being in orbit hundreds of miles away from the Earth. You know anything about that? No, ma'am. Got my eye on you, boy. In a different clip and from the same movie, you're about to hear the exact same words. I have my eye on you. 
and the tone could not be more different. different. So once again, listen for the words I have my eye on you and consider when you may have heard that tone or maybe when you've used it. Mr. Bykowski did a dang good job on this. Yeah, well, he used the washer for the well. Man, it looks just like it did in the picture. Prodigious. Why not? <laughs> when do we go? Probably Give me that. What is this, a weapon of some kind? No, sir, it's a, it's a rocket. I don't allow dangerous devices on school grounds. Mr. Turner, I asked Homer to bring that to school. Showed in class. You know, the boys are thinking about entering that county science fair. Be careful, gentlemen. I'm gonna have my eye on you. Thank you, Mr. Turner. Did you hear it? I have my eye on you. The same words with entirely different implication. One gives life, the other an arrow. One, there's glory in you, you have what it takes. The other, there's trouble in you. What you have in you is not meant for good. One is a blessing, one a potentially deep arrow. As image bearers, I believe God has placed in every one of us and every one of our children gems of his glory. His glory. Let that soak in. Some gems are hidden and some are more evident. Don't be too quick to think that God's glory is necessarily the more apparent or seemingly obvious. Say a singer or an instrumentalist or an artist or a really smart child. You see, in many respects, the glory revealed isn't so much in the actual performance or in the end result anyway. That is only the culmination of God's glory expressed along the way. God's glory revealed isn't an event or a one-time culminating performance. It can't be, or else if we never performed, we'd never reveal his glory. His glory may well have been in the persistence, the dedication, the sensitive spirit, the nuance, the humility, the dreaming, the passion, the kindnesses, the tenacious spirit, or even the free spirit. It may have been the rule breaker or the rule follower that resulted in a great performance or event. But do you see that was the culmination of God's glory lived out over time? Your child's image bearing is the characteristics that reveal God's characteristics. In fact, God's glory lived out in us may lead to what appears at times to be failure. God's glory lived out in its most complete form through the ultimate act of faithfulness resulted in a crucifixion. Death, but not failure. God's glory lived out. So we need to be careful not to see God's glory as a single event or outcomes, but in being faithful to fully live in a manner that most fully expresses who God made you and each of your children to be uniquely. We are so tempted to acknowledge children when they perform, when they are easily compared to others and do well, and there is a danger there, and we know it, but it's hard not to do it. The image bearer bearing God's image in the path is the path that helps a child to be all that, glory, all that God created him or her to be. Think of this, God created in St. Paul unbridled passion. He passionately killed Christians. God didn't take away Paul's passion. He redeemed it and pointed it in the right direction. Passion as an appropriate expression of God's glory produced a passionate preacher and soul winner. God did not remove Peter's boldness. With a rooster's crow, he humbled and refined it. And Peter became on the rock, the rock on which the church would be built. The church couldn't be built on bold, fearless arrogance, but it could be built on fierce, bold humility. Two people can sing the same song and of the same quality, but the motivations and aspirations for excellence may be born out of darkness. I love to influence. Influencing others to do foolish and hurtful things was wrong. And there was a period of time when I excelled at it and even enjoyed it. I know God's grace has changed my desires and how I influence others. He's brought redemption and restoration and healing, which has helped me to be a better image bearer. Maybe that's been a longer path than it should have been. I wish somebody spoke in my life earlier and helped me to see that I was a unique image bearer. So what does this look like? My son Andrew did not share my passion for athletics or my ability. I lived to play, to compete, to run, jump, tackle, score, and win. I was an accomplished athlete in high school and college. As a young child, Andrew, four years old, and I would visit equipment stores typically farm equipment. Andrew would pull out the specification sheets on the tractor, the mower deck, the roller tiller, the combine, the rake, the manure spreader. If it was on the rack, 
We had a copy of it. So can you imagine for bedtime reading Goodnight Moon and then to Andrew's insistence reading each spec sheet out loud, going through the size, weight, length, width, torque, nuts, bolts, ring, and the blades of the 20 spec sheets we picked up at the local farm or mower shop every night. Can you see that God's glory was to be lived out in Andrew differently than it was in me? And as a father, I had to go there. My job was not to make sure he became an athlete or teacher or speaker or influencer because God's glory in me should be God's glory in him. The image of God he was to bear was not the one his father bore. How foolish when we think that God's glory ever looks the same in any of us or in our children. But we're tempted, aren't we? I can tell you that I was much more comfortable kicking a soccer ball than I was discussing the specifications of farm implements and all the mechanisms involved for manure to be launched from the back of a manure spreader. God's glory is different in each image bearer. And I came to understand that my responsibility as a parent was to encourage what God's glory was to be lived out in Andrew, not me. So at night, along with, and good night to the old lady, whispering hush. Good night, stars. Good night, air. Good night, noises everywhere. Was included the John Deere 3830K manure spreader. 36.4 inch length for this one and three quarter inch drive shaft, producing a torque of 200 RPMs and 24 inches for each blade, which are held on with six four-inch bolts, each with a half-inch nuts on 16-inch tires, inflated to 15 PSI. <laughs> so I heard Zig Ziglar, and I realized that I needed to go back into my home as a father and my classroom as a teacher and back to coaching and begin to see my son, my students, and athletes as unique image bearers first. In school, we are teaching and coaching, and as parents, we feel pressure for our children to fit our preconceived aspirations. But that sometimes creates in us the work of a technician and maybe not so much the work of a fellow image bearer. At school and home, we get caught up in the inconvenience a child might be causing or the discipline needed. When this happens, we need to be aware. Who is this soul in front of me? And who is this child I parent? And what does God see in his or her full expression of his glory? Oh God, would you allow me to play a role in encouraging your fellow, your image in a fellow image bearer? And in particular, in my most precious image bearer, my own child. Would you allow me to get far enough past my own stuff to see God's glory in another and to take the time to identify it, acknowledge it, speak it, and encourage it? What is that winning that Zig Ziglar claimed to see that God has uniquely placed in each child? It's God's image in the image bearer. It's God's, it's God's glory waiting to be rescued, affirmed, expressed, and lived out. Teachers and parents have a great responsibility, but more important, have a glorious and profound opportunity. For teachers in a school environment, the responsibility is that students know more at the end of the day than they did at the beginning. As parents, it's, helped to, it's, it's to help protect them and provide for them and for all of us to speak deeply into their hearts. The opportunity for both parents and teachers is that you can speak into a child's heart what is uniquely his or hers, and you can call out of them a future of what living out God's glory might look like. And with that, give hope and purpose. You can be an image bearer, repairer. As a head of school, I see that teachers often get to see things even parents don't. Parents in the context of mess of families somehow, and unfortunately often, God's glory can slip by in the hurried and harried life we experience at home. So I hear Zig Ziglar, and I go back into the classroom and back to my role as a father. And in the classroom, there's Tom Johnson. Friends, Tom wore me out. Tom was responsible for half the gray hairs on my head. Tom was energy, full-out, obnoxious energy. Tom couldn't keep his hands to himself, and Tom ran his mouth like a marathon. After class with Tom, I felt I'd been through three classes. But, but, Tom is an image bearer. A glorious, eternal image bearer. And Tom is created a little lower than angels. But his name wasn't Tom, it was sit down and be quiet. 
Tom wasn't an image bearer. He was an interruption, a constant, unrelenting interruption, a distraction to more important tasks and time with other students. Thinking of Mr. Ziegler after class one day, I asked Tom to remain for a few minutes, and his head just dropped. Remember, his name wasn't Tom. His name was sit down and be quiet, or worse. So I said, Tom, I'm glad you're in my class. Tom, you have lots of energy, don't you? And Tom, sometimes you know that energy is very challenging for me and for other teachers, and it gets you in trouble. But Tom, I will work with you and walk alongside you to try and help you direct the energy in more productive and acceptable ways. Tom, can I tell you something I don't ever want you to forget? Tom Johnson, someday your energy will leave your classmates in the dust and take you further than you or I can even imagine. Tom, you and I will look back one day and see how much further you have gone than any of your classmates. Tom Johnson, thanks for being in my class. His name is Tom Johnson now, or maybe closer to it. He still has energy and a future, and I got to participate in his life as more than just his great corrector. I believe I helped him to recover just a bit of his true name, and he still wore me out, and I still needed to ask him to sit down and be quiet, but we were operating on a different playing field. Restoration, redemption, healing, image bearer. In school, much like home, we get into a pattern of thought and behavior, responses, but more typically reactions. And we need Jesus and others to help us see what often slips by. And when we see it for what it is, we have the most powerful weapon in the universe to recover from our mistakes. I'm sorry for what I said. Will you forgive me? These words hold the power to heal, to make new, to restore, and to renew. Take a moment to think about names. What we hear in our names is important. And isn't it interesting that God changed some names in Scripture? Jacob, supplanter. To Israel, triumph with God. Sounds a bit more representative of God's glory, doesn't it? Jacob needed to know how God saw him going forward. Hope, restoration, redemption, and healing. The tide of the battle reversed, the arrow deflected or maybe even pulled out. Jacob was told to return home. Home where the echoes of hurt and misunderstanding were deep and ingrained. You know home, where we all hear that story just one more time. Everyone laughs, but it hurts. Jacob had stolen his brother's birthright, and as he ran from home in shame, the last words he heard were of revenge and murder. How could he return? But God sent him back with a new name. This new name gave him courage to return, and it would break him free of the past. His new name was his real name, named after the true image he bore, triumph with God. And there was healing and redemption and God's image restored. Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. Do you think it would help the one who would be known as a denier for all time to also know the very one whom he denied wanted to change his name to Rock? Each morning when the rooster crowed, was Peter to remember that he had denied Christ or that Christ had given him his real name? And it was a name that overcame all of his shame and guilt every single morning. And from Saul to Paul, Paul meaning small or humble, maybe a gentle reminder of how God's pure and unmerited favor was poured out on a self-righteous, pride-filled Pharisee and the worst of sinners. A healing name. A name inviting Paul to live full bore as a passionate, humble image bearer. And Paul's passion was furiously unleashed through his humility. A soul saver, not a soul killer. The battle turned yet again. The image called out. Restoration and hope and a future. Years ago, I substitute taught in fourth grade Latin class. They knew I didn't know Latin. So at the beginning of class, I expressed my ignorance and wondered out loud what we do. A student raised his hand and told me not to worry. Jay was in the class, and he was a scholar, and he would help. Another student chimed in, Jay is really good at Latin. And another, yeah, Jay is a Latin scholar. From the back row, a thin, blonde-haired, narrow-faced Jay stands up and begins to walk forward between the desks. And as he walks, do you know what happens? He becomes the scholar. As he walked, you could see the blessing of the students broaden his shoulders, 
strengthen his spine and embolden his spirit. As he came forward, he assumed the mantle of his name, the scholar. With each of Jay, with each of Jay the scholar's step, steps, I found myself wondering what the other students could be called. And I knew some would rarely, if ever, hear a blessing or anything like it. And many would likely hear the opposite. She's the slow one. He'll never be able to do that. Sam will always say the stupid thing. Or Beth will always act out. Jack is such a disappointment. Some of these may hold truth and require discipline and intervention, but they needn't ever be said. But they are. Another arrow in for his or her teacher or parent, another opportunity. Remember, it is a war and Satan wants to take out the heart. Steal God's glory into each and every image bearer. Deceive each image bearer into thinking they have nothing to offer. Destroy another potential foot soldier and prevent, prevent them from entering the battle to restore, to redeem, and to heal. What is the blessing the name wants our children to bear? What can we speak into the hearts of our children? What hope can we give them as they grow? What can't they see that we can? Often God's glory is veiled. There may only be hidden glimpses into what might be God's glory yet to be realized. And children and even adults are timid. Do I have anything to offer? We so easily see things in other people and we think I don't have anything to offer like they do. And sometimes it's misdirected or disguised. Is the acting out child one day to be the bold crusader or talented thespian? Is the class clown the one who will know exactly how to make us laugh and bring healing and relief at just the right time? Or do they joke to hide their arrows? Speaking to the lives of those wounded or tentative can bring healing and light. And it often takes a discerning spirit, patience, keen observation, and the willingness to listen. A couple of things to consider. What are your children doing when they seem most alive, most in their element? Are they building? Are they taking apart? Are they visiting with others, being funny, thoughtful, quiet, pensive? Are they bold? Are they fearless? Are they teaching? Are they questioning? Are they leading? What are the glimpses you see of the unique bent God has placed in your children? Thinking of having, think of how having conversations like these would feel to your children. Sam. Do you know how you love to build Lego? Sam, do you know some of those big buildings in Roanoke? Man, Sam, maybe someday you will build something like that. Anthony, I have never seen someone so good at taking things apart. Why don't we take a trip to the Goodwill store to see if we can buy some things just so you can take them apart? <laughs> Anthony, I know some great inventors who took things apart when they were your age. Anthony, I think you'll be a great inventor someday. Amy, I know those words hurt. They were hurtful words. Let's talk about how to respond in an appropriate way. Amy, I don't want you to lose your sensitive spirit. This world needs people who are sensitive. Amy, do you know Jesus was sensitive to others and he heard hurtful words too? Sharon, you are so very quiet. Are you thinking of lots of things when you are quiet? Taking time to think about things is a great way to learn. Sharon, I think you are learning lots. I look forward to hearing your thoughts when you're ready. Sometimes God's glory will just peek its head out to see if it's safe. If we aren't aware or attentive, we miss it, or worse, we inadvertently clobber it. Your child is wanting so badly to make you proud. For you to take notice, to acknowledge, to smile, to see his or her unique image bearer, bearing, and we miss it because we are harried and have other things to do. And worse, we heard it, and maybe they won't try again. At least not with you. And maybe you remember when you tried a long time ago, just that once. Parents missing the glimpses of God's glory in their children is so universal, it even shows up in cartoons. Look, Mom, I drew a picture of me landing on the moon. I made the prototype of the rocket out of macaroni. Uh. Look, Mom, I made a real rocket based on the macaroni prototype. Uh. My son Andrew has become an accomplished mechanical engineer. 
think of all those spec sheets. It makes sense, doesn't it? He did play some sports, but God's glory lived out in him as an, as an, as an, as, as an engineer, not an athlete. I had wonderful parents. You'd have loved them. I surely did. They were kind and gracious, loving, generous believers. I was gregarious, the class clown, demanding attention with little thought to how I was getting it. I had five siblings. I was in the middle, and I needed to be obnoxious to be heard and seen. Words came in actions with few filters. I can clearly remember my father telling me, Peter, you just don't think. Ouch. My name isn't Peter. It's you just don't think. That's what my dad said. Wouldn't leaders need to be able to think? Parents pray that can you, you can see what your children don't and give them their rightful name as image bearers, to give them hope, to fortify their hearts for the hard times ahead. Change for them what they hear from others that might wound them into what gives life. What is the path to seeing God's, guilt, God's glory in your children? These, number one, these opportunities will not announce themselves in advance. You need to be looking for them. Number two, know that this is war. Know that the war is against our hearts and the hearts of your children. Number three, it takes a spirit of humility. Correction is easy, and that's only part of our job. Reacting is different from responding. We correct behavior. We correct attitudes. We correct people. Encouraging others as image bearers isn't correction. Avoid the trap of wanting your children to be a certain way because of how you perceive it might reflect on you. I could have taken my son's lack of interest in sports personally and made him feel poorly about his words, demanding he do so without showing any interest in those things that were of interest to him. One of my biggest surprises and greatest shames I found as a teacher was I just didn't like some of the kids I taught or coached. No chemistry, they rubbed me the wrong way, they were arrogant or just didn't seem to care. <clears throat> Wouldn't ever try. I didn't get the results I wanted. God's glory in them. Somebody else will have to find it. We'd like to think we like all our children the same. We might love them all the same, but some we find are harder to get along with or to relate than others. Forgive me, Jesus. Thank you for pursuing me when there was no chemistry. When I didn't try, when I rubbed you the wrong way, rubbed you the wrong way, all the way to the cross. Number six, ask God to allow you to see in your children what he sees in them. Ask to join him in healing the wounds to restore what was lost and to reveal what is hidden and to give home, hope. Ask him to reveal to you his name for each of your children, their true name, and work on ways to affirm it. Number seven, see through the haze. Context is everything. Ever have a child break curfew? You're chewing them out when they say that they were in a car accident? Everything changes, doesn't it? Your children have a lot going on. God's glory may be hanging by only a thread. You see only the symptom and may not take the time to hear what else might be going on or at least consider it. <clears throat> Look for these opportunities to speak in the heart of your children, words of deep encouragement. When you're reading a book and one of the characters displays sensitivity and caring or notices something others don't or jumps into the fray to protect or save, imagine conversations like these. Billy, do you see where the white knight protects the princess? Oh, Billy, that's what you would do. Why, when you grow up, Billy, you may be the best protector ever. Georgia, what do you think about Lucy standing up for the truth, even when it was hard? Sweetheart, you are courageous, and that's the sort of thing you do so well. Esmeralda, did you hear that man telling the truth? Esmeralda, thank you for knowing that telling the truth is important. Even some adults have trouble telling the truth. Henry, remember the book we were reading as you went to bed last night and the character who took responsible for the wrong they had done? Henry, I realize that's very similar to the situation you faced earlier in the year. I admire how you handled it. That willingness to take responsibility when you mess up will serve you well all your life. Henry, that is what men do. They take responsibility for their actions. Henry, you are becoming a man. Do you hear how deep these go? Do you feel the anchor being set to hold fast against the storms ahead? Can you see these arrows being removed or deflected? Describe for me the attributes of your best student that you wrote down earlier. Good, academically well-behaved, studious, disciplined, quiet, compliant, neat, active, smart. Was it the one who, one who always behaved and was the teacher's pet? Can you, be, can you see beyond your desire to encourage children based on these shallow definitions of good? to see God's glory lived out in your children? Can you see what might be the most trying thing to you is what God might use above all else in the future? 
Please do not misunderstand me. This is not about your child, your being your children's peer. I hope you, that's not what you have heard. We should set high standards for our children, but don't win a battle and lose the war. The war for God's glory lived out in each child. Requi require hard work and meeting of high standards and work just as hard to see God's glory in your children and to speak into their hearts and give them a picture of what it looks like and a future. During my own parents' conference with my second grade teacher, she made the following comments. You have a delightful son. If only he'd let me lead the class. No one picked up on this. The second grader with the moxie to lead the entire class. Every report card I ever received from kindergarten through the 12th grade said the exact same thing. If Peter only applied himself. Applied myself to what? Academics, yes. But what about seeing God's image as a leader and an influencer and a teacher? Nearly everything I say, have said can be summed up in the movie clip I'm about to show you. It's from the movie Rudy. I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. It's full of examples of people who gave a young man the name he deserved. It's also full of arrows that nearly destroyed his heart. What is today? Friday? No, no, I mean the day. August 23rd. And that is my birthday. 22 big ones. Oh, Pete, it's starting to go by too fast. Well, I know I didn't have time to wrap it, but, you know. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, shouldn't have, Pete. No, I know. So in the surplus store, and I said, that's got to be yours. This is unbelievable. Pete, I don't know how I'm ever going to thank you. How's it look? You were born to wear that jacket. Two more minutes. Did you see it? You were born to wear that jacket. Rudy's friend knew him, called out his unique image bearer, and literally clothed him in it. Restoration, healing, hope, and a future. What jacket are each of your children born to wear? What can you offer them to affirm and encourage their distinct image bearing? What words of affirmation, restoration, healing, and hope can you give them? And finally... Just a couple more comments. After sharing this with our faculty, I received the following email from one of our teachers. Mr. Bauer, thank you for what you shared. God has already used it to move in my classroom. I have a child who likes to share scriptures, pictures, and thoughts from his Bible. It is important for you to know that he also likes to come up in front of the class to share them, and it's not always the best time. He asked to do this again this morning, and this time I happily stopped class because I could see it was important for him to do it right then. I then privately told him that he obviously has been given a special gift of sharing God's word with others and perhaps will be a great preacher one day. He smiled a huge smile and said, how did you know? You just made my day because that is what I want to be one day. So again, thank you, Mr. Bauer. Who knows? I might be teaching the next Billy Graham. And who am I to silence that? A final clip. An award ceremony honoring God's glory lived out in a young boy who heard the words of affirmation from one who knew him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the big moment. The highest scholastic achievement award for science. The National Science Fair's first prize gold medal goes to Homer Hickam, Quentin Wilson, Roy Lee Cook, Sherman Odell, Big Creek High School, McDowell County, West Virginia.
Gene Tech, we got the best science program in the state, buddy, okay? Congratulations, son. Good luck to you. What did he say to you? What did who say? Barbara! That was one of Barbara! He just shook his hand! <laughs> school year. I'm going to brag to all my new students about how I taught Homer Hickam and the Rocket Boys. Maybe one day one of them will feel like they can do what y'all did. Homer returns home where hurtful words lingered, but he returns home with a new name, the Rocket Boy, and the healing whisper of the words, I've got my eyes on you ringing in his ears. He returns to thank the one who saw God's glory in him, healing, restoration, and redemption. Parents, there is a reason there are endless movies about teachers or coaches who believed in young men and women when it seemed all others had given up. When it appears the arrow had done its job at just the right time, the hero arrived. Parents, that should not be because we missed our own opportunities to do so. Parents, be that hero, because the individuals from whom children most want to hear this blessing is you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts of these parents to grant them wisdom and discernment to be all that you've called them to be, and we pray that their children would rise up and be all that you intend for them to be as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. Oh, my goodness, what a gift. And Anne Claire and Aaron Love, I just want to say thank you for telling us about this powerful presentation. What a gift. Thank you. Uh, next week, Tim's class will be back on, regular scheduled programming next week. But until then, we will uh, we'll connect and reach out and let you know about what's coming next. Thanks so much, and thank you again, Peter. <laughs>